to take care of you, your the flock, the sheep of his shep, the shepherd uh, is the sheep, the, and the sheep of the fold. That's God's part in my life, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're not somewhere else. You came here today, and there's a reason that you're here because there's a word you need to get. There's a word you need to get, and today we're in the fifth and with final of this series called Slings and Stones, and I want to share with you. We've been talking for several weeks. As we bring it to a close, in the first week we talked about, somebody say anointing. Anointing is simply the meaning of us being marked as believers. We are marked as believers. That doesn't mean that we've got our nose in the air. It doesn't mean that we wear particular clothes. That simply means that God has called us out from among the world that we are to be different. Somebody say different. Difference is not bad. Difference is what makes us who we are. It makes us unique. Are you with me? It makes us unique in who we are. You wear your hair the way that you do because you don't want to look like everybody else. You wear the style clothes that you do because that style fits you. Well, this doesn't have anything to do with hair or or, or clothing fashion. What it has to do with is a heart thing. It's what Jesus has done in your life and in your heart that says, you know what, I'm not what everybody else may be around me and I'm glad that I get to gather together with the believers because I have been anointed and I am marked for a purpose. Come on somebody. That brings me to the second week we talked about being gifted. Everybody has a gift. Sometimes we're gifted with multiple things but one gift in particular that you have. That God has given to you, which says, and I want you to say this with me, I, come on everybody, I have purpose. These young people up here, they have purpose. To the most senior person in this building, you have purpose. I've had seniors tell me, well, I can't do much anymore. I can only only attend service and pray. Well, I'm going to tell you, if that's God's purpose on your life, then that's what you need to do. Because the Lord knows I need somebody in my corner praying for me every week. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'll take the prayers over, over somebody else's money. So we're gifted or we have purpose. And then... We talked about on the third week having a passionate attitude, which means that when God's gifted you, He's called you, you have a purpose on your life, you've been anointed and marked, that now you have passion about what you do. I can't cook like Jeremy, and I can't cook like Robbie, but they have a passion about it. They make some of the best spaghetti you ever put in your mouth. Come on, somebody. Jeremy can make, as far as I know, the best gravy on the planet. I'm sorry, Mom. Grandma, you know, I'm sorry, but the man's got it. And he won't turn loose of it except just to make it for you. And by the way, pastor's probably past due. Amen. Praise God. Anyhow. Amen. Gifted to do that. You you have purpose and you have passion for what you're doing. You know, I hear these, and just to throw that out there, any of y'all ever watch the cooking channel? You Some of you men don't want to lift your hands, but you know even with your wife, she's watching it. Isn't it amazing that you could have just had a meal, but they go to cooking that stuff, and for some reason, the Doritos in the cabinet goes to calling your name. You you, you say, I couldn't eat another bite when you got up, but you're hungry now. 
But one of the things that I notice about these cooking shows is they'll use this word. I made this with love. My passion is cooking and I put... You know what I'm talking about? Grandma would cook with love. what, What they're simply saying is there's something about what I feel on the inside about what I'm putting on the plate. And when you eat this, I want you to feel that love. I want you to know that passion was in my heart. Are you with me? And so we talked about passion and being passionate. And last Sunday we came back and we took Goliath... To the ground. We've knocked him slammed to the ground. And you say that's the end of the story. No it's not. And I want to share with you one last thing. As we move into next week. Into something brand new. But here's what happens. We we realized. And I brought my little makeshift sling in here. That one of the things that he did. Was being careful. About the approach. That he took to Goliath. Why is that so important? Well some scholars believe that Goliath. Probably had a vision problem. If you look at uh, 1 Samuel uh, 17, verse 44, he kept saying to David, come here, come near me, come, come closer. Kind of like, kind of, let me get where you can see me, or I can see you. And he had a sword, he had a spear. And, and he, David knew that if he ever walked in on Goliath's terms, Goliath could take him down. But he had enough wisdom as a boy to know that God had not called him to, to wield or a, a, a sword, to have or to fight with a sword. He was made different. He was created on purpose, for a purpose. He was made for more. And so God put in his hand a couple of things, and one of them happens to be a sling. And we, we kind of showed you a little bit of that, and he Picked up five smooth stones. Somebody said, why five if there's only one giant? I don't know, but somebody said he had brothers. When he put that stone in that sling, he didn't just sling it, but the Bible says David gave these words. I didn't come to you with with a bunch of swords and spears, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord God of the hosts. And so when he began to wind that thing up, Some scholars say about seven revolutions per second. When he would wind that thing up and let it go to hit that giant and knock him down at the distance that they may have been was that David was good at what he had, what he did, but also the scholars believe and agree that in the helmet and the armor that Goliath wore, there was one spot in the helmet in the middle of his forehead that was not covered. Can I tell you something? You might be good at what you're doing, but isn't it something how God of the Holy Ghost once the stone is let go can just nudge you and remind you, big boy, you're pretty good, but I'm better than you are. And what you can't do, I'll help you complete. Now we know that the giant is on the ground. That's where we left off last week. And we realized that David's approach was very important. So today we're going to talk about not only his approach, but the advantage that David had in his life. And that's where we're going to go. We're going to talk about that. What it, when you say his approach, and then you say his advantage, what do you mean by that? Well, David had an advantage over Goliath because he wouldn't fight Goliath on his terms. And the lesson that you and I need to get from this is this. Keep your distance. 
Don't ever allow yourself. I need everybody to hear me looking this way, listening to what I'm about to tell you. Keep your distance and don't ever allow yourself to get tangled in feelings. I'm going to preach it. Y'all going to get me up on the chairs before the day's out. Don't ever get tangled up in feelings and what people say. Amen. If I would have ever gotten tangled up at 15 years old in what people say and my own feelings, I would never be here today. I'd be running a business somewhere doing something else. But can I tell you, when people said you're just a little bit young, yeah. I I don't think you could. I had a guy set when I was 18 tell me he didn't think that I could turn around good in a room, let alone turn around in his scriptures and I was going for credentialing at the time love him to death he's done gone on to be with Jesus before he died he told a couple of guys that I know that he was the one that helped me get to where I am and the truth of it was he really did not in a direct way but an indirect way because there's a sign in my office that says they said it couldn't be done so I did it anyhow Do you know what? That's a determination and an advantage that God puts in our life. It says, you know what? I can't go by my feelings. I can't go by what somebody else said. I believe that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And what everybody else is saying, I can't. I believe that God's saying, son, go get them. You can. I'm with you. I'll direct the stone. I'll take care of you. That's God. All right, Y'all don't get me wound up before I get ready to even read my scriptures here. I want you to know in the very end that God's people are victorious. As a believer, you have victory. You say, I'm struggling. We're going to go through that just a little bit today. I'm struggling here. I'm struggling there. Listen to me. In the very end, you have victory. The issue is this. If you stop short of what God wants to do in your life and you believe what others say and you listen to your feelings, you'll never finish what God has called you to do are you hearing me if you listen to others who say you cannot do it they they say you're not able come on somebody they're critical of you they're the Eliabs in your life they're the older brother who laughs at you and mocks at you and says you'll never be anything other than a water boy don't you believe what they say you let them You let the rooster crawl all he wants to. You just keep believing that the Word of God has declared that you are greater than all of that. That God's not only called you, but He saved you out of a hellhole to bring you to a place that you could change your part of the world. you got to believe that. If you never believe that you're greater than what somebody else has said about you, you'll never live to the level that God has for you. I want to take you to verse 45. We're going to go to 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. I I shared with you what Goliath said when he said, come to me. That's what he was telling him. If you read in verse 44, we're not going to put that up there because we've got a lot of scriptures to get through. 17, verse 45, it'll be on the screen. You got your Bible turned there in your, your, your little tablet or your phone. It says this, Then David said to the Philistines, You come to me with this sword. Now, I know that I'm touching on the scriptures that we were in last week, but I need you to get this. With the spear and with a javelin, 
or sword. But I come to you in the name of the Lord, the host, the God of the armies of Israel. This translation says, whom you have defied. One says, whom you have mocked. And for us, we understand, you know, defy. We, we kind of wonder, okay, defiance. Uh, if you want the picture of true defiance, look at a preteen teenage girl. I know it's, you know, mama's going. Because when emotions begin to run high, and tempers are high, and patience are low, and she says, I hate you. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all understand what I'm talking about. When that ha- that's the defiance of that. The mocking of this giant was basically looking at the armies of Israel who had come out every day for 40 days and they were basically mocking at Israel saying, Who are you and who is your God? You guys are a bunch of pipsqueaks in our eyes. And every day they would disperse. Until Goliath says, hey, let's do some one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat kind of thing. Not really hand-to-hand, but let's, let's make it one person and another. Let, let's don't have all this bloodshed. You get your best man, and I'll come down and fight him. You know the story, Goliath was the giant. You've seen it on the felt board when you was a kid. You've heard about it in church. But David knew that his advantage was by the, by the way that he fought, but more importantly, his, his advantage was why he fought and who he fought for. David saw the giant was big. He knew that he was. David, the Bible says he's a boy. He's a young man. He's not very big. But David knew he was not fighting by himself or just for himself. Are y'all with me? As a body of believers, you've got to understand that Goliath can be compared to what goes on in your life. I just need one amen. And if you don't believe that, let tomorrow wake you up and find two flats on your car and you're 15 minutes late for work. The kids are screaming, can't get them on the bus, can't get them to act right. Your wife is mad, your husband is mad. You get to work after the flats are fixed. The boss has the audacity to say, what took you so long to get here? And at that moment, that can be a giant in your life, what's happening in that day. Are you with me? So the Goliath that we're looking here is a picture of what happens when life comes at you, when it's, when it's nailing you in the chest. And I want to tell you something. I need everybody, all eyes, looking here and listening to this. If you are a believer, you are a Christian, you love God with all of your heart, Jeremy, the devil, the enemy, will come against you. You can mark it down, write it down, label it, whatever you want to. The enemy will come against you. Here is the thing that you need to get out of this. How you respond will be how you become victorious over it. The life will come against you. And honestly and truthfully, there is very little that you can do about it. Your kids are going to do things that you're going to shake your head and you cannot control them. And you're going to ask yourself, did I give birth to you? Am I your real father? Because 
I would have gotten killed when I was a kid for doing something. Y'all with me on that? You're going to shake your head. Some of you, your husband's going to do things. Your wife is going to do things. You're going to shake your head in disbelief and wonder why it even happens. Listen, life is going to come and there's little you can do about it. But one thing you can do is trust in God by faith and be in prayer. You see, once you get out of prayer, that's when you open the door of the enemy. When you stop praying, you stop reading your word, you open the door to the enemy. I've told you this, I'll give it to you again. It's worth writing down, you know, in your little book or wherever. Make a note of it. There's two ways that I always know that I'm going to end up in trouble. I can always look back and realize that when I stop reading my Bible, it gets dusty and my altar is empty. Listen to me. I can see at those moments, that's when I messed up royally. But if I stay in prayer and I read my word come on somebody and I keep and I say I'm not just struggling and keeping my head above water I believe that that Bible is truth that God cannot lie and what he has said about me my family my children we will overcome the giant Amen so if you're surprised by your daily struggles it's very easy that you may be disarmed for the bigger battle Let me say it again. If you are surprised by the daily struggles of life, what's the daily struggles of life? Flat tires, kids acting up, wife acting up, husband acting up, boss acting up. Come on, somebody. Not enough enough, uh, month at the end of the money. Not enough money at the end of the month. Y'all got me? That's life coming at you. Your response to it, is going to make the difference in how you live your life out and how you recoup from it. Are you with me? So if you're surprised by the daily struggles of life, be careful because it's nothing more than a distraction to disarm you from a bigger battle. Because there's a lot bigger battles to fight, believe me. Jesus tells us in John 16 and 33. He said, I've told you all of this so that you might have peace in me. Somebody say peace. Here on earth, not just in heaven, here on earth, you will have many, underscore, 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 trials and sorrows. So if some preacher, some pastor, some evangelist, some guy on television tells you that when you get saved, that everything levels off and everything is a, is a bed of roses, I got news for you, and that is this. There are thorns in those roses. And life brings them, and you're going to have hurts. And the more you serve God, and the more you try to serve God, and the greater your calling, and the greater the mark of God, the anointing of God, what God wants to do in your life, the bigger and the harder the enemy, the giant is, that's trying to bring you down. Some of you have got influence in your life. You've got influence in your marriage. You've got influence in your jobs. You've got influence in the companies that you run. Hear me. Don't let the enemy distract you and drag you to the bottom. It's a distraction. Amen. It's a distraction. And I'm just going to ask you to ask yourself this question. What is it that's coming at you this season of life? Is it, I don't think they like me anymore? I think the pastor's mad at me. Come ask me. I'm not. 
I think they're ignoring me. I, I think they don't want me in their life. Come on, somebody, help me here. You understand, that's life coming at you. Believe me, I hear those things in my head often. I think my time's up. I don't know if I've done, I'm doing everything that I can do. Maybe, God, I've gotten lazy at 49 years old, and that's the issue. I just don't work hard enough. My wife said there would be nobody ever be able to convict you of that. You can't sit still. It may be a little bit of the ADD. It may be a little bit of the OCD. I don't know. I just believe that God sees. And God knows my heart and He knows that I want to do the right thing and sometimes I make stupid mistakes and sometimes I do dumb things and sometimes I'm just as human as anybody else is human but the one thing I know that the grace of God and the mercy of God is following me all the days of my life and regardless of what the devil keeps trying to say and to tell me I'm not listening I only know that God oh come on somebody is ahead of me in this battle and that I will You'll win the war because the book says I do. And you do too. Brother David, thank you this morning. I was sitting in my office and Brother David texted me a very personal text and it, it came through and it was up to me and my wife and just saying how much of a blessing and how much he loved us and appreciated us. You know, every now and again, those are good things to get. It may be that moment that you were thinking about going in and writing your resignation that all you needed was somebody to encourage you in the Lord. But I'm going to tell you there are many days as a pastor there's not anybody standing around you to encourage you in the Lord. Sometimes you got to do what David said and that was encourage himself in the Lord. Which simply says, if nobody's patting me on the back, stroking me on the head, saying, hey, go get them. You're doing all right. It's going to be okay. I'm praying for you. That Tony has to get in a prayer closet, get on his knees, get before the Lord, get in the Word and say, God, I know you brought me here and the call and the mandate's bigger than what the voices I'm hearing in my head. And I believe that, God, you've got a plan bigger than what I can see. And, God, I refuse to let the enemy take me down. Amen. I wasn't going to preach this hard today. I think I done broke a sweat. Got to get out of that. Thank you. Whatever it is that's coming at you, as a believer, you have the advantage, but you've got to act on it. Why is that? I'll tell you real quickly. A lot of believers, and when I say believers, we're talking about Christians. We're talking about disciples. We're talking about people that come to church, commit their hearts to Christ. A lot of them get saved. In other words, they walk to an altar. They've given their hearts to the Lord in a house-to-house group. They gave their heart to the Lord before they ever showed up here to church. But they are believers. They are followers of Christ. Stop there. Can I tell you that salvation is only the first step in your journey? In the kingdom of God? That there are many steps. And I'm teaching and training all of our leaders to be asking, hey, what's your next step? What's your next step? Have you been baptized? We've had people that have been coming to us saying, hey, we want to be baptized. We're going to baptize you. It may be cold as it can be, but we're going to baptize you. What do I do? What's next in my life? I'll be honest with you. We need to be asking ourselves, what is our next step? Because salvation is the first step. I, I, I just I firmly believe that just saying, well, I got saved and I'm not going to go to hell, that's a good thing. It is. 
It is a good thing. But if the only reason that you give your heart to Christ was to miss hell, you are missing the greatest relationship you can have with Jesus Christ. Because a relationship with Him is everything. Getting into your word. I mean, really diving in and saying, God, I don't know everything about this book, but my pastor said he don't get it all either. You can tell the Lord I said that. He knows it. And if you didn't, surprise, surprise on you. I get tickled when people come and say, Pastor, can you, they flip over, and they've been studying it for six weeks. Can you explain this to me? I can't right now, but you give me a few days, and I'll study into it, and I'll let you know what I think. Is that okay? I don't have all the answers. I don't claim to have all the answers. But I do believe that the Holy Spirit of God will reveal unto you when you start digging in to the Word of God and the truth of God's Word because whatever season you are in life, what you've got to do is dig your heels in. And you've got to say no to the enemy. And you've got to say yes to God and believe that God is the source of everything you have need of. Are you with me? Listen to this. David was hearing the same taunting. I shared this with you last week. He's hearing the same taunting every day, or or the armies are, that David heard on the 40th day. The mockings, it's there. And every believer, look at this, that deals with that thing. We, We preached a message called Silence the Frequencies, and I said, you know, to get in your head, you hear this stuff, and somebody's talking about me, they don't like me, and the people's mad at me, the church is mad at me, Bethany's mad at me, whoever's mad at me, listen to me. It's in your head. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but it's in your head. And you gotta you gotta tell, you gotta see the enemy doesn't mess with you any other place than in your head. That's why Joyce Myers sold the book that she did, so many of them, and then resold it again about the battlefield of the mind. Why? Because that's where it's going on at. And if you listen to the voices in your head, those that are not, how do I know it's God? What is good? What is pure? What is honest? What is holy? What is upright? Those things are of God. The rest of that stuff, you've got to run it through the cross, and if it's not at the cross, then discard it. Are you with me? And people are human. I have people that have told me, thank God, you know, we don't have that much in here. People say, I got hurt. Hey, look, just get in line. I've been hurt too. Then the next thing is, well, I don't trust people in church because I got hurt in church. Hey, get behind me and about at least two other dozen other people. Because what the devil wants to tell you is, is that you got hurt in church, so that's a good reason for you not to go to church. And I'm only here to tell you that if you got hurt in church, that's a good reason to find a church. But if you're looking for the perfect church, it ain't happening. And you can run from here to ten buck two trying to find it, and I guarantee you, you stay long enough, you're going to find something about it that you don't like. Or somebody. Or you're going to see something you don't like. That's why your focus isn't on the giant, it's on the God that's bigger than the giant. It's not on who's standing in front of me and in my way or I think is coming against me because the truth is the battle's not against Joe or Susie. The battle is is of the Lord. Listen to me because you're going to fight every day. John said you're going to have many trials, many sorrows, many tribulations, but I've overcome and because I've overcome, you will. You're not battling anybody else. 
We are going, as much as I love Pastor Tagan and I love Pastor Ted and Brother Jerry and that old nappy-headed Nathan and he ain't here and I'm going to find out why he ain't. As much as I love these men and we've served together and we've ate and broke bread, actually it was fish together, and we've done all kinds of things uh, together, I don't always agree with them. And God knows they don't always agree with me. Out of respect to the office, they haven't been yes men. They have yes men. They have shared with me at times, Pastor. I look at this differently. You know what? That doesn't make me not like them. They got to put up with me. They're stuck with me. Come on, somebody. They're my family. And I think on a good day I could whip Pastor Tagan. I didn't say that. No barbecuing. <laughs> I said this and just to share with you, I'll get back to preaching, I promise you. You needed this. You've got to know, Brother Nathan, he's not here, so we'll talk about him. He can watch it later and see it. And so, uh, you know, to really get the truth, you got to see Tagan standing beside me, and the, really the way you see is him standing behind me, see how much broader he is than I am. And I don't mean here either. And so, Nathan and I are texting one day, and Nathan says, you got to know Nathan, and of course you guys that know him know well what I'm about to say. But one of the kindest, most gentle-hearted people you'll ever meet. Hilarious, got a personality that's just magnetic when you're around him. Just that kind of guy. And so he's texting me one day, and he says something about asking, to me asking Tegan something. Or, 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 and that's how the conversation went. And I basically w- took the conversation and said, no, me and Tegan's not on speaking terms. Now I did that, not, and he was quiet. And you got to know if Nathan's texted you, he's not quiet. Because he's like, and he's quiet, silence, you know, kind of like pin drop. And I go on, and I said, I'm just tired. And I basically said, when I see him again, I'm going to put him in a headlock and take him down. <coughs> Well, finally, he answers back. It's not because he's with his kids or his wife. It's because he don't know what to say. And he comes back in the text, and I still have it because it's hilarious. And he says, finally, uh, he says, what did he do? And I don't even remember, but finally at the end, he realizes I'm jerking his chain. I'm pulling on his leg. And he says, Pastor, about the best I can do for you is hold your cap and give you a word of prayer. (laughs) You know what? In life sometimes when we're facing our biggest battle, it's almost like our friends can say, you know what? About all I can offer you is to hold your cap or your coat and offer you some prayer. And I know the giant looks big. I know that what you're facing is looking big. But we believe that you and God on your side are going to be able to overtake whatever's coming in front of you. Don't give up. Don't quit. All right, I've got I to finish this thing in 15 minutes or try to. Thank you, Jeremy. Amen. What we've got to do in life, what, what changes it then? What What happens? Well, we've got an advantage, or we're saying that we need a different advantage, and that advantage is we look at it differently because we're children of God, but we also need a greater awareness of what's around us. What do you mean by that? It's an awareness in the life that you're already living. You've given your heart to Christ, 
And the same Spirit, everybody hear this, the same Spirit, the same God that you're asking to help you pay your bills, to put food on your table. Are you with me? The same God that you're asking and believing can touch your body when it's ailing. Are you hearing me? The same God that you're asking uh, 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 somehow to uh, help you find a new car. The same God that you young people are praying to saying, Lord, if you just help me pass this test. The same God that did, the same God that you're praying to, I, I need you to get this, is the same God that raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. I said that same God is the same one that raised Jesus from the dead, which tells me He can do anything. He's a God that raises from the dead. He's a God that can help you pay your bills. He's a God that can give you a job to provide food for your family. He is a God that can give you the knowledge to study for a test to pass it. Don't ask Him if you didn't study. Some of y'all thought it was a shortcut, didn't you? Ain't no shortcut. Lord, I've studied. What do I do then? I'm preaching. I love these kids. They let me preach up there a couple weeks ago. They entertained me. Boy, I had a good time. Listen to me. Study as hard as you can, Sierra. Get it all out. Some of you may not have to. My, my oldest son, I don't think, studied hard at all and just did really good in high school. And that's great. Look at me. This fat boy didn't do that. I studied through and three times and was lucky to be an average student. But you know what? That's okay. God knows I gave my best. But I never asked God to help me pass a test that I didn't study for. Half the church of God's watching what I'm about to say in the state of Mississippi. If you don't know who that is, that's the denomination we fall under. I failed my exhorters test three times, two times, three times. My wife knows, two times. If you don't know what an exhorter's test is, that's the base test to be able to preach the gospel. Three, two times, the third time, I'm having to drive from the Gulf Coast to Jackson. I failed it. And the enemy looks and says, you're a failure. You're not supposed to preach. You can't even pass a basic test. Now for all of you that think it's just Bible, you better think again. If you don't know that, you can ask Pastor Bethany. Pastor Ted both hold those credentials so they understand that. Two times, and I drive back, and every time, Tegan, I was like, God, just let me pass it. You know, back in those days, I was just, I was very young, and I thought, God, these people all know I can't pass this test, and I'm trying so hard to pass this test, and I prayed. And listen to this. There was a woman, and her first name is Deborah, and I'm trying to remember her last name. What was it? Boutwell. And the Church of God, people that are watching, know this guy that will tell you I'm telling the truth. Sister Deborah said, said, Brother Tony, said, I want to help you. I said, I don't want no answers. No, I want to help you. And they wouldn't give you the answers. She said, would you sit down and take this test verbally the third time? I said, absolutely, I'll try. She put me in an office, sat down with her. She gave me that test verbally, and I passed it with flying colors was the first time I've ever heard of verbal learning that you can learn it. Some kids, some adults learn better by hearing it. But this was before really we heard a whole lot about that. And he's just kind of, I felt like a dummy. But hear me, I want to tell you something. If I'd have listened to the voices that the enemy kept, I'd have never been here. 
Some of you wouldn't be saved. Some of you might not be saved. I'm telling you that God aligns things. He knew. Now listen to this. So I took my... I took that, and then they've got another test that you take, and you have to wait so long. That's what they call your licensing test, which means you can marry, bury, baptize without any permission, and all this stuff. And it's a big test, too. It's 350, I think, questions, something like that. And then I took the biggest test that I took after I moved to Vicksburg, and I was pastoring full-time, and this is the 500-question one, and it's a lot about church polity and about a lot of other things, and it's 500. The guy who's given me the test, who's passed on to be with the Lord now, had a doctrine I didn't take it verbally I took it setting down and in that test I studied I had help with people helping me and I think I missed two or three of those questions and at the end of that test he interviewed me looked at me and said you know what this is a good score hear this when he got ready to retire and move on from his church I had been here about five four or five years and when he retired the state overseer calls me and says, Hey, that church where this guy pastors has called and wants you to come there to pastor. Would you consider that? But I know what, he said, I know what your answer is. And Brother Ray Garner, who was the overseer at the time, I said, Brother Garner, I can't. God's brought me here and I know I'm supposed to be here. We were, we were still living in the parsonage, so it was within the first four years. I kept thinking in my mind, how in the world did that church how do they call me? Well, there's no live streaming. There's no Facebook like it is now. How in the world? So I got to deducing and got to deducting and got to fit. And it took me a while, but I finally figured it out. He was their pastor. And when he got ready to retire, he told them to ask for me. Can I tell you something? I'm telling you that the Word of God declares that He will make room for you and put you before men of great honor. He will do things in your life that you can't do for yourself if you learn to trust Him. But if you ever listen to the initial voice of the Lord or the enemy that says you're nothing but a failure, you should never preach. You should never lead people. I would have never gotten to that place. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? What am I saying to you? I'm saying to you every Everybody struggles. Everybody. All right, let me, I got a lot to get to. And I, I got, guys, we may skip forward a little bit because I got so much to share with you. I won't get done. The advantage. Listen to this. Um, you've got to learn to act on the, act as if you have the advantage. There's, there's a saying that says, fake it until you make it. Y'all heard that one? Fake it until you make it. I don't think you need to fake it until you make it. But I do believe in walking by faith. You with me? So here's what I want to tell you. You've got to act or believe as if you have the advantage, even when the enemy says you don't. When the enemy says you're going to fail, when the enemy says you're going to go bankrupt, when the enemy says uh, you're going to divorce, all of these things, you have to believe, not just act, but you have to believe as though I have the advantage in my life because I'm a believer. I'm a child of God. I believe what God says about me. I, I want to say something. I don't know who I'm saying this to, but God's about to align somebody with a promotion. and He's going to move somebody out of the way to promote you. I don't know how. I don't know how that's going to happen. Don't know who that it is, but I believe in my heart. You can go back and read this. I believe it's going to happen. I'm going to hear back. God's going to move somebody out of the way to promote you. And, and because of that, uh, that is honoring God. If you honor God with your life, He gives you the advantages that you need. Listen to this. That is walking by faith. 
even when you can't see the end results. Your identity is in Christ, so that gives you the advantage to claim your reward. Let's go down to let's go to let's go to verse 50. We're in the same chapter, 17. It says, So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling, with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Notice that. He's a boy. He ain't got Saul's sword. He, he ain't got one. Look at this. Then he ran over. He's got Goliath on the ground. Pulls out the sword from Goliath's sheath. I know, it, you know, this isn't what you put up on the felt board in Sunday school class. David used it to finish him off. Somebody say finish the job. And cut his head off. I never did see that in the Sunday school when I was, they were doing felt boards, you know, cut the head off. Now, here's the next. Hold on. It's not over. I know I'm going to have to preach on love in February, but hang with me, ladies. Y'all telling your kids, be nice, play good. Don't hurt nobody. Don't push them. Pastor said, knock him down, cut his head off. Aren't you glad they're over there? Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and they rushed over to the Philistines chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and the wounded of the Philistines were strewed all along the road of Sherim as far as Gath to Ekron. Verse 53, the Israelites' army returned and plundered or basically once they did all of this, they would go and take all the gold, the silver, anything of value because it was legal to do that. The Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. Look at verse 54. It's in parentheses in my, my Bible. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. David took the Philistine's head to Jerusalem. Dude, he ain't got a Yeti. There's no ice plant around. I know it's gory. Us men are like, yeah. The ladies are like, listen to it. It's in the Bible, so I've got to be able to preach it, okay? David takes the Philistine's head to Jerusalem, but stored the man's armor, Goliath, in his own tent. As Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of the army, that's who this guy is, Abner, look at this, Saul still don't know who he is. Abner? Whose son is that, is that young man? Abner says, I really don't know. Well, find out who he is, the king told him. That's Saul. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with Philistine's head still in his hand. Deer hunter, you know. Tell me about your father, young man, Saul said to David. And David replied, his name is Jesse. <laughs> and we live in Bethlehem. He might as well have said, my name is Smith and we live in Redwood. That's about how much that meant to Saul. Are you with me? But the Bible, many years before in Isaiah would declare that from the root or the seed of Jesse, the Messiah would come. Whew, I feel Holy Ghost in here. And those words would forever ring out in eternity that David would say, I am the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. 
Come on, somebody. It didn't mean a whole lot to that king, but I'm going to tell you, it means a whole lot to the world today. It means a lot to the world. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The king would come from there. That's that's a preaching for another time. I just want you to know, even though Abner doesn't know David's name, his name, it's not what people recognize about you that gives the advantage. It's what God puts in you. And I want to, I'm going to share these points with you quickly. You need to stop surviving what God has called you to conquer in your life. It's a sin to merely say, well... I I just knocked the giant down, he's down, that's good. But the Bible says that when David took the head off the giant, that was a sign of total victory. He's not getting up. He ain't just out cold. He is not getting up. He is down. We know that Israel goes back, plunders all the Philistine camp. But however, before all of this scene, David goes and satisfies what has been survival mode. He cuts off the, the uh, Goliath with his own hands. David was committed to the purpose of God and would not stop, would not, would not do anything else until he finished the job. It's my thoughts, as I said earlier, that as Christians, if you stop at salvation, listen to me, as long as you know, you say, well, I prayed a prayer when I was 10, 8, 9, 12, 14, and I feel like that's the good thing. I just won't go to hell. That's what I wanted to do. You're missing on a good relation, out on a good relationship with the Lord because about what you've done is you've knocked Goliath down. But the Bible says you're called, hear this, to a life of sanctification. Which simply means that I'm marked and that I won't just survive what's been conquering me. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? That the thing that's been overtaking me in my life, I have been called to defeat it. Are you with me? Yes, you are saved, and you're in the church, but you need to finish the job. Stop just surviving. Don't just say, well, I'm not struggling today. Take the sword of the the enemy and cut its head off. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Whatever it is that you're struggling with. If it's pornography, you've got to cut the head of it off. I'm not even going to get there. Listen to me. If it's alcohol, you've got to cut the head of the giant off. If you don't, you'll continually struggle with it. You know what? If it's backbiting, if it's gossip, Whatever you're struggling with, if that's your struggle, if you don't cut the head of it off, how do I cut the head of of gossip off? When somebody comes to tell you something about somebody else, say, hey, 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 hold on. Just before you tell that, I just want you to know, if you let me know who they are, I'll wrap a towel around my waist. I'll go wash their feet. I'll go bless them. I'll go love on them. Because they need somebody to not just talk about them, but to help them. Listen to this. I want you to know the second thing that the enemy, the very thing that the enemy wants to use to destroy you can be the very thing that God uses to deliver you. Notice in verse 54 that David took the Philistines head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor, and that's the part I want you to get in his own tent. David went to Goliath, and this is a huge move. He didn't settle for just doing one thing in one area or, or, or knocking him down. But this, this is the point. Do not settle for doing God's will in just one area of your life, but be, but be willing to compromise in another area. Real simply. You ready? I got saved. I gave my heart to Jesus. I did all of that. I stopped cussing. 
but I hadn't stopped lusting. The job's not finished when you just don't do it anymore. It's not finished until the desire is gone. If it's still in the pit of your stomach, it's not gone yet. John 10 and 10 said, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I I know what I want. I want a rich, satisfying life. I don't want to just push the giant in the corner. Amen. Don't just say, Well, we're married now. So I, I, you know what? I'm just going to stay married because it's wrong to get divorced. You know what? The Bible doesn't say just stay married. I believe the Bible tells us that we're to be married and enjoy our marriage. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. Well, I'm going to go home and that old, that old gal of mine, she won't come to church. I don't know what's wrong with her. Pastor, why'd you choose the wife? Because if I choose the husband, then y'all going to get mad. So I choose the wife on this one. She just sitting at the house watching that old football, got her beer popped open. When I get, when I get home from the buffet, I'm going to go throw her a microwave dinner in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the microwave, heat it up for her, put it in her lap and tell her to eat that, you sorry, no good heathen of you that won't go to church, live for God and love God like I do. You know what? You'll never win them to the Lord that way. You'll never see them come to Jesus that way. Because they don't believe that you have the love of God in your heart. I want to say this. I haven't said it in a long time, but I'm going to say it loud and proud. If you're dealing with somebody that's lost in your home, if you're dealing with somebody that's lost on your job, if you're dealing with somebody that's even mean on your job, God never called you to make them good. He only calls you to pray for them. Amen. Don't just settle for raising your kids. Pray for them that they become world changers. Develop them. Make them who they are. Number three, real quickly. We're at the end of this. Today's attack just may be tomorrow's advantage. If you fast forward 14 years, David is now on the run from Saul 14 years later. Y'all with me? We're fasting forward out of this... this out of the story of David and Goliath. He's gone from being a champion who defeats Saul's enemies and Saul not even knowing his name to being the enemy of Saul himself. Look at this. Remember, the very thing that works to your advantage can also create attacks in your life. David... Now, in the verse where we just read, you can write that, uh, mark it down, or where we're about to read in 1 Samuel 21, verses 8 and 9. He goes to the priest, and he's asking for two things. One, he needs something to eat, which was the bread that the, uh, for the men to eat it himself, which they weren't normally supposed to eat because he's going to a priest and getting it out of the, out of the temple. We don't have time to go into all of that. But the second thing that he asked for, listen to this, is a sword to fight with because he left in such a hurry that he did not carry a weapon. Look at 1 Samuel 21, 8 and 9. David asked Ahimelech, Ahimelech, do you have a spear or sword? The king's business was so urgent that I didn't even have time to grab a weapon. The guy, the priest, replies back and says, The only sword that I have is of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. The priest replied, priest replied, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Take that if you want, for there is nothing else here. See, some of you may have never even read that, but I want you to hear what David says. Your past victory has been waiting on you 
when the sword was aimed at your very heart and every influencer was telling David, every influencer was telling you, you can't do it, you're too young, don't go out and fight that giant. David said, I remember the day when my brothers accused me of having wickedness in my heart. I remember the day when everybody that was looking at me was saying I'm too little. I remember the day when Saul benched me. I remember when Goliath said that he would feed my flesh to the birds of the air. But I also remember the day that I triumphed over that giant. Not not with a sword, not with a spear, but in the name of the Lord. I did not die even though they tried to make me believe that that I would end up dying. Even though they tried to tell me I wouldn't live. By faith, I fought the battle. Look at what he says in verse Uh, 21 verse 9, there's nothing like it, David said, give it to me. I've got another battle to fight. Give me a little bit of music if you'll turn the lights down, everybody if you'll stand with me. I don't know the battles that each of you are facing, but I promise you that as, as God is our living Savior and our Lord that everyone here, regardless of age, ethnicity, social status, is fighting a battle. Sometimes it's within your own home. Sometimes it's on that job. Sometimes it's, it's, uh, it can be financial. There's battles we're fighting, we're facing, we're dealing with. But I just need you to hear something. If you're under attack right now, your faith will turn the attack into an advantage. How? The sword's wrapped in an ephod, which represents the will of God. What do you mean it represents the will of God? It represents that I will overcome. It represents that God created me not to be defeated, but He created me to be victorious. It represents the will of God. The will of God for your life is not to live defeated. The will of God for your life is not to be conquered. The will of God for your life is the fact that when you embrace that, that the attacks that you have become your advantage because you are a child of the King and you're walking out your life by faith. And no matter what the attack is, no matter where it comes from, listen to me, hear this, because we're going to pray. It's spiritual. Let me say it again, it's spiritual. But it's my wife, but it's my husband, but it's my children, but it's my boss, but it's my finances, but it's this, but it's that. Hear me, listen to me, it is spiritual. Kids not behaving, it's spiritual. Come on somebody, we don't, we don't like to think of it, they're my babies, they're my angels, listen to me, it's spiritual. Why? How do you know, Pastor? Because the Bible tells us that our battles are not of flesh and blood, but of principalities and powers and wickedness. I'm not saying your kids are wicked. I'm saying that because we live, hear this, in a broken, fallen world, they will lie to you at the drop of a hat. And everything they tell you ain't always 
on the up and up. Come on, somebody. And people in this world will do the same thing. Your family will do the same thing. Jobs. People will do the same thing. So it is a spiritual thing, not one of flesh and blood. The advantage that you have is that you're a child of God. And talking about it, I know we want to, trying to hash it out with somebody else, we want to do all those things. A lot of it, you may have to do some talking, but most of it is conquered in prayer.